Welcome to the Indie Matters Podcast, where we talk about the issues that matter most to Nevada. I'm Joey Lovato, the producer and editor of Indie Matters. On this week's episode, reporter Michelle Rendell speaks with Amanda Morgan, Michelle Booth, and Michaela Tonking with Educate Nevada Now, an advocacy group powered by the Roger Foundation that aims to reform Nevada's school funding formula and increase funding for education. In pursuit of our mission to provide reader-supported, nonpartisan journalism, the Nevada Independent sometimes accepts sponsorships for the podcast and events. The sponsors have no input into topics or content. This episode of Indie Matters is brought to you by the Nevada Mining Association. Welcome to the Indie Matters podcast. I'm Michelle Rendell's reporter, and I'm with three folks from Educate Nevada Now, which is a group that's really advocating, um, that's been really working closely on the new funding formula that just got revealed this week in the legislature. Um, I'm here with three ladies that have a lot of expertise in a lot of different areas. So we're with Michelle Booth. She previously worked as a spokeswoman for CCSD, so has the school district's perspective. Michaela Tonkin, who uh, has most recently worked with Augen, Blick, uh, Pelik, and Associates, which is actually the group that did a funding formula study in 2018 that kind of was the basis for this new funding formula. And Amanda Morgan, who previously worked as a staff lawyer for the ACLU and has been working with Educate Nevada now for five years now. So a lot of expertise in this room. And thank you so much, ladies, for joining us and kind of just kind of talking through what we're seeing with this funding formula and kind of your guys' take on what's going to need some work over the next couple of weeks and, and what's good. So I don't know. Do you guys just want to start with a couple first impressions on um, was the bill that we saw what you expected? Yeah, well, first, thanks for having us. Yeah, I think that we we and other groups in the community um, were given a heads up on some of the elements of the bill. Um, we hadn't seen the language ahead of time, so that was all new to us. And we see some positives in the bill, and we also see some things that really need some work. Some of the positives include things like a maintenance of effort. So currently, we've had a major issue in the state with new revenue sources going into education and then kind of getting funneled out the back end. So we call it supplanting of funds instead of supplementing of funds. We saw this with marijuana. We saw it with IP1 room tax. And now we're seeing that in the formula, that really will be difficult to do because the governor is required to propose funding that would match or be higher than it was the previous year. So that's something that's really positive in this bill. You know, that term maintenance of effort, I think sometimes I've heard it in terms of federal grants. So Mm -hmm. if Nevada gets, you know, such and such amount of money for welfare, then they've also got to kick in 30% of that cost or something like that. So what does it mean in this context? So in this context, it means that if the economic forum finds that the economy has grown, the state general fund contribution to education, this kind of new education funding account, I think they're calling it the the state education fund. Yeah. Um, It will actually have to increase at the same rate that the economy is growing. Um, which is really critical. If it increases less than inflation, it at least has to contribute as much as inflation and enrollment growth. If there is a decline in the economy, um, they can't decline their contribution to that state education fund more than the overall decline in the economy. So it's really kind of making sure that, hey, we need to start prioritizing education. 
And to go off that, they've added it a stabilization fund. So if we do see some of that decline, then they can tap into the stabilization fund to then help keep the education fund staying at a sustainable level. And the stabilization fund, that's what they call the rainy day fund when we're talking about the general fund. So this is basically a new fund that we're creating that would be, you know, for overflow years, I'm assuming surpluses go into there and then can go right back into education as opposed to just going into the rest of the state budget. It's yes, exactly. So it's dollars that certain districts have had that are above the reserve of two months, so 16.6%. And those dollars then get to be reverted back into the stabilization fund that can then be used in times of trouble within the state to help keep our education fund flat so we're not losing money. And then you talked about this kind of being pegged to inflation and growth in the state budget. Is that a novel concept? Because to my knowledge, we just sort of picked a number out of a hat and decided that was how much education was going to be funded. It didn't have a bearing on reality. Is that your understanding? Yeah, absolutely. So in the past, if you look at years, year over year, um, the growth in edu- the education budget, a lot of times it didn't even come close to inflation. Sometimes it'd be 0.5 or 1.5, mm-hmm. and usually inflation's about 2, 2.2%. So we weren't even keeping up with inflation. So this is actually going to be pretty critical. Um, going forward. And I think it also prevents, you know, for example, let's say in the future there's a ballot initiative or some new revenue source that goes directly into this new state education fund. Now the state can't contribute less in response to that new revenue, which is exactly what they did with marijuana money and the room tax money. So it's really going to kind of transform how we look at education funding, because now we have to start increasing. No okay. more excuses. Yeah, we have no, no more, more supplanting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we can actually go out and raise that money. So yeah. we're really excited about that conversation to happen because, as we know, we're excited to have a new funding formula, but we still need the additional funds to go with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it could be successful. And one of the causes of Educate Nevada now has been concern about this what is called IP1, which was a tax passed in 2009, Mm -hmm. under the auspices that it would go to education, right? I mean, it was sold to the voters on, we're going to raise hotel taxes, it's going to go to education. But it's really just sort of helping the budget overall. Yes. (laughs) You know, and I mean, maybe in an indirect way that helps education, but it's not 100%, you know, a pipeline to education. Yeah. Definitely supplants. um, And actually, on this week, um, they are going to be talking about moving those funds over again into the DSA. And when they uh, wrote the bill, they said it was specifically going to be in a separate account so that it doesn't happen because they've seen it happen in the past. So they said, we're going to put this in a separate account so that they can't supplant it. And we had a recession and they said, all right, well, this year we're going to put it in um, to the DSA so that it you know, because we need the money. We were, they were temporarily. Having some, yeah, temporarily. Mm-hmm. And every session since, they voted to put it in there and it supplants funds. And they're about to, you know, talk about that again on Thursday. And so we're out there rallying the troops <laughs> saying, like, we can't be doing that. These are This is money meant specifically, actually, it says some of that's supposed to go to teacher raises, you mm-hmm. know. And here we are having this conversation <laughs> about teacher raises. And we're actually moving these funds again over to the DSA to basically supplant them. Plus, you have the voters the taxpayers who say I keep voting for taxes and I'm not Mm -hmm. seeing any results Mm -hmm. it's because the schools aren't seeing any increases in funds so we definitely need to fix that we're excited that the funding formula is going to address that 
on a more urgent level, we're concerned about them supplanting it for this session, <laughs> as is going to, um, you know, they're going to discuss during this meeting, which is really unfortunate. They've supplanted about $1.2 billion thus far. And on Thursday, they're going to be talking about supplanting an additional $400 million, mm-hmm. money that, as we know, our schools need. One of the key features of this bill is going to hopefully make things a little easier for folks to understand. So <laughs> we've got this thing you were referring to, the DSA, the Distributive School Account. Mm-hmm. That's you know where some of the education money is. <laughs> but then you've got all sorts of other things going on. You've got hundreds of millions of dollars every biennium going mm-hmm. to class size reduction. It's specifically for that. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Zoom schools and you've got victory schools and you've got all sorts of, you've got marijuana money that's mm-hmm. um, you know <laughs> currently budgeted to go to, to school safety initiatives. There's all sorts of stuff going on. Do you guys think that the, the one pot approach is going to be a good one? The one-pot approach makes it a lot easier to understand what dollars we have available and how we can begin to spend them. So when the study came out, Augenblick looked at what was a base amount that was meant to be spent. And in the base amount, it's higher than what we believe this will become. But in their base amount, they said that these are all the different resources you need in order for students to succeed. So that's smaller class sizes, that's instructional facilitators, and these are all things we see in categorical grants right now. So by rolling those all together and allowing the districts then to start thinking about how to spend them allows us to really see the dollars and make sure that everyone has access to these dollars. Yeah, and the bills really, it looks like it's going to create a lot of different levels of transparency on that funding. So not just at the state level to the districts, but the districts to the schools, and a lot of reporting back on what the money's used for, because I think you have to have that to have accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason we have all these different pots of funding is we've kind of had a piecemeal approach to fixing problems. You know, oh, we're, we're not really addressing the student population. Let's kind of create a little account here, and we're not really addressing class sizes. Let's do this here. This kind of says, look, this is a holistic approach. We need to do this. Um, Weighted funding will now go to every single student that has a unique need that needs to be addressed if they're an English learner, an at-risk student, a GATE student, a special education student. So it's a move in the right direction, but ultimately it's really important for parents and teachers to understand that without additional funding, they're not going to see smaller class sizes. Mm -hmm. They're not going to see additional resources in their school. So this is, this is a good first step in a lot of ways. Um, it's not perfect, and we can talk about some of the things we really think need to be addressed. But, you know, without additional dollars, it's kind of, it, it's not really going to work. So that's got to be our, our moving forward. Okay, we have this formula. Now we need to fund it. Yeah, the funding formula has been like this big thing we've been waiting for all session. And, you know, I mean, it's a major undertaking. It's been years in the making. You know, we always hear the fact that it's 52 years old and it's the oldest funding formula in the nation. It's time to do something new. But you make a good point that this is maybe not going to be something that we see on the ground in the form of reduced class sizes. This is sort of a little more of an esoteric It's thing. the same funds. It's the, you know, we, there is no additional money. I think there was a discussion early on during the session, well, if we roll in all these funds, look at how much higher our you know, base funding is, and where would we rank, they even said. Well, these studies actually take all those additional funds, so we'll, we'll still rank towards the bottom in funding. It's not going to change yeah. that, because those studies did take into consideration categoricals like other states may have. So we're not necessarily moving the needle on the funding and where we rank, and then as a result, the resources that our students get. And one of the things we heard out in the community is, well, I don't want to advocate for more revenue because we've seen what they've done with IP1 and marijuana. So we are fixing that mechanism with this bill in a lot of ways. So that's a good positive step, but 
Yeah, it's it's not going to really um, re result in a lot of changes unless there's new dollars. This bill provides a skeleton of all the things that we need and the way that it should function. But without the new dollars, we can't get new resources. We can't have um, better performance. We can't expect more students to reach the state standards or any of those things. But it does allow us to better track and understand where the dollars are coming from. It's a good first step. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And, and I think an interesting point with the adequate funding, you know, when Augenblick came into town and came into the state, they looked at all the different districts and how far away they were from being adequately funded. And I think all but one, mm -hmm. maybe two districts have adequate funding. Well, inadequate. Or, or, yeah, inadequate funding, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome if they were all adequate. Um, and, you know, in this formula, there's a, you know, quote unquote, hold harmless provision that's not really acknowledging like, hey, all these counties that, you know, you're kind of setting the bar really low and you're saying, oh, we're not going to lower your funds, um, but you're going to kind of be frozen at, at mm -hmm. a certain funding level. Well, their funding level that they're being frozen at is, is grossly inadequate. So we need to be moving additional dollars into the system or else we're going to have some of our rural um, and northern counties that are really going to suffer if we don't make a commitment in the future to add additional dollars. Mm -hmm. We're basically bringing everyone to the same type of level of inadequacy. So we all get <laughs> to sit there at that level until we start to put new funds uh, in. Very fair, inadequate yeah. level. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we can all be equally poor. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and that's one of the biggest criticisms that I've heard as the funding formula was being prepared for rollout was a lot of the rural lawmakers are really concerned mm -hmm. about the yeah, like you're saying the funding formula is meant to make things more fair mm -hmm. but in the process it might bring those rural counties that we're doing maybe relatively better down to a lower level and then there's concern that say they grow the funding formula is not going to let their funding increase mm -hmm. um, it's just going to freeze it until this whole transition takes place. Do you guys like how, how the hold harmless provision <laughs> oh, works? I, what I'd like to see, and this is how it's done in a lot of other states that have um, transitioned into modern funding formulas, is you acknowledge that a lot of these other districts are not at their adequacy levels. And you move new additional, additional dollars towards adequacy based on your proportional difference between like where you are now and where you are to being adequate. So if you're a district that's really far away from your adequacy target or goal, um, you get more money. But if you're only, you know, maybe you're not that far, maybe you're only $200 per pupil away, well, you'll still get something, but it'll be a small amount. Kind of acknowledging like, hey, we're not all adequately funded and we understand that. Let's move dollars where they're needed most. That seems like a more rational way to do it than kind of saying, you know, kind of grates us when we hear people say like, well, those districts are doing okay. That's why they're being held harmless. They are not doing okay. Um, they're they not, are they're not adequate. Their funds are not adequate. And it's, you know, doing something where we contribute a little bit to everybody says, hey, students over here, over there, we haven't forgotten you. Um, so it would be nice to see if we could address that. That's that's really the approach a lot of the states actually do take because they recognize, look, you're not you're not at adequate funding. And, you know, on the record, <laughs> the majority of our school districts are not at adequate funding. Mm -hmm. Can we talk a little bit about that Augenblick study? I think it came out last summer, and I don't know if everyone, you know, it was on everyone's radar. But tell us about kind of what that study was able to, what was the purpose of that, and what did it find? 
Yeah, so um, this is our fourth adequacy study that the state of Nevada has had. And so what it looks at is what are the resources that are needed for all students to meet state standards? Knowing that not all of them will meet, but like what do you need to get there? And so for this study, they were specifically asked to look at different student demographics. So your English learners, your special education students, your gifted and talented, and your low income students, and not look at the base. So which was different than you've seen in past adequacy studies. But what it did is it took a group of professionals who are Nevada specific and who knew the Nevada state standards and asked them, what do you need in these specific schools to serve these students? Not dollar value, but what type of resources do you need? So do you need more social workers? Do you need more counselors? Do you need smaller class sizes? Tell us exactly what those resources are you need and how do those resources tie to these students meeting a specific state standard? And so this allowed to make sure that you're not just throwing in a bunch of resources or throwing in too little, making sure that you can tie them. And so what they came out with was a base of 9,238 with additional specific weights on top of that base to serve both all of our English learners, our low-income students, our special education students, and our gifted and talented students. And they said this, will, this dollar figure with these weights will supply the adequate resources for these students. So what are the resources that are, we need? How much does it cost? And that's how we have cost-based funding. That's mm -hmm. what cost-based funding is. And um, right now we're seeing more expense. What we're seeing in the formula is more expense-based funding and not necessarily cost-based funding. Uh, but what else is really really exciting about Nevada is a lot of states, when they're redoing their funding formula, they said, oh, we're going to redo our funding formula. Then they do a study like Augenblick's, and then they say, oh, right, how much money do we need? And then they work towards that. The good thing about Nevada is we've already done the study several times. <laughs> so we do know what we need. Um, we have the funding Fortunately, we didn't necessarily tie that to the funds that we need, but we do know there's that acknowledgement. There's a study. It was a state commission study, and it told us this is how much money your students need to be successful and to meet your own state standards. So this study found out that it was $9,000 plus mm -hmm. uh, would be needed to probably get you know all the students to the state standard. What are we funding it at now? Right now, we're close to... With local funds, I think it's close to like 7300 yeah. or 7200 yeah, right yeah. in that area, yeah, so including that in categorical. And we don't have any weights, yeah, so... Yeah. Without weights, yeah. Without so the weights add a whole, you know, different component, because when you have a weight, for example, of 0.5, when someone says, oh, there's a 0.5 weight on this student population, so let's just throw out EL or, some, or a different student population, that means you're going to provide the 9200 plus 50% extra of that. So I can't do math that fast. But, you know, it's a lot of additional dollars. So, and that's to meet those kind of unique needs that those students might have. So maybe they need um, extended school day or tutoring or something like that. Those kind of resources are, are costed out for them. And we know that we weren't going to get all that money this session or up front. Um, <laughs> from the, would be nice. Um, one can wish. Um, but, you know, we were kind of hoping for a down payment on that or at least a commitment like a lot of states do. They say, all right, so every session or every, well, their sessions are like every year, but, you know, every year we're going to get to 10% or whatever. So they had this goal and plan to meet the resources that their student needs and deserve. And they phase it in over time in law. And, yeah. and we're just not doing that in this formula. And I think that's a, a kind of a glaring <sighs> Mission. It's really missing. Yeah. It keeps it from being the true formula. Uh -huh. <laughs> it needs, yeah, formula that what it needs to yeah. be. And when you add up all the, you know, <laughs> two thousand plus per student that we're we're not funding mm -hmm. that the study says we need to fund, 
I mean, we're talking billions of dollars, right? I mean, it's like 1.5 1. billion. 1.5 to 2 billion, yeah, right. A year or every two years? years? A year, every year. And this is obviously not even <laughs> part of the conversation this session. I mean, that huge amount of money is, is not uh, on the table this time around. But yeah, you guys put out a statement saying like, we wish there were maybe targets in the bill. I mean, what were you guys hoping to see? So in Maryland, what we've seen is that it, when it first went into effect, they laid it out over a 10 year plan. And we're like, in the beginning years, we're gonna add a little bit of money and then we'll increase as the time goes on. We'll add some to the base and also some to the weights to make sure that we're keeping up together. They did relative weights, so they had a much higher weights, but then as the base increased, they lowered their weights to even it out because they felt they wanted to serve their most at-risk population populations first and then go back. And so what we were thinking is something where we put in those targets with the idea that we can bring more money towards these districts, as well as know that, as well as allow the general public to see how far away we are from those adequacy targets to help them understand why we might need more money put into these. We know where we need to be. We were hoping that commitment would have been made. Mm -hmm. Over a Um, dozen states across the country that have modernized their funding formulas have used a phase in of targets. So it's not unusual. Um, A lot of states are doing it. um, And I think that it kind of provides a good faith like, hey, we we understand where we need to be. It allows the public to know the need Mm -hmm. for new revenue sources or the need to, to move money into education. It's just not in this one. And we were hopeful. I mean, there was a recent study that said, you know, Nevada scored an F or towards the bottom in fiscal effort based on the resources that the state has economically and what it what it proportions, you know, provides to education. So we were kind of, you know, we know that it's possible, obviously tough questions and some tough decisions to be made. But, um, you know, several studies have said, look, Nevada can handle it and we think our students deserve it. So yeah, this bill is just a really long bill. I think it's 120 pages, but there's sort of the first third of that is actually like new stuff. But you don't see a lot of numbers. Like you don't see, you know, there's not a target. There's not, there's not a number on the weights. Um, skeleton. Yeah, <laughs> very skeleton. So yeah, it's like kind of a template for for what's going to happen. And then there's a new commission that's going to have some significant duties. Can you guys explain a little bit about that commission and what it'll be up to? Yeah, definitely. So one of the when we went out and started talking to districts and CFOs and, and, and that group, what we had learned is there was not a lot of communication between the Department of Ed and the state and the districts, which is really critical in understanding whether a formula is working or not working or whether there's mistakes in the formula or how it's being implemented. We, we kept hearing it over and over again. I wish there was better communication. So we had actually um, proposed that there be some sort of commission that kind of is the steward of the formula. That it includes people that understand funding formulas and understand fiscal policy. So I think that this commission is a really good step. Um, They're going to do a a lot of different things. They're going to make recommendations on how the formula can be changed or how it can be implemented on different efficiencies. And they're also going to make some recommendations on how to deal with differences between districts. And, you know, if you have a, a, a necessary small school or a small district, and what are those cost differences, wage differences between teachers, between different districts. So they're going to be doing a lot of different things, but I think that's really critical to start this dialogue because it just hasn't happened before. seems to me that this commission, I mean, we... We only have three weeks left in the session. We just saw this bill. (laughs) Um, There could be issues with it that come up that we don't foresee right now. And it seems like this commission is there to sort of be there year-round and anticipate problems. Exactly. There's a a two-year kind of phase in of the formula where they're going to basically see how the formula would work 
without actually implementing it. And this commission is gonna really examine it closely and say, hey, when we ran the formula side by side over these two years, we notice these kind of anomalies or this needs to be changed. And I think that's really important, especially for small or rural counties where one small glitch can really mean some devastation in those counties. So um, I think it's a great thing that this commission will be there monitoring this formula. And the commission can help make sure that it's much more Nevada-centric, so making sure that those equity adjustments actually fit the needs of Nevada and making sure that we really are addressing the needs in each of our school districts in the correct way. And yeah, so- an open meeting so community can, you know, to listen in, provide input if, if they allow that, um, which is, I mean, if anything we've learned with this bill coming out so later in the session is that people want input. They want to be part of this. Is These are our schools and our students, so... And this commission that's going to be the steward of the formula, basically, uh, does include at least four CFOs, mm-hmm. I saw. So mm-hmm. the school district's chief money people are uh, are going to be on this commission providing the input, and it's going to include uh, Clark and Washoe County, it looks like, uh, mm-hmm. plus two smaller mm-hmm. counties. So yes. there will be at least a diversity of mm-hmm. voices on that yes. group. Yes. wanted to talk a little bit about weighted funding and what this bill does and doesn't do as it relates to that. So just a quick primer weight, as you mentioned, is sort of like a multiplier. Um, you know, say an English learner, they just, they set a number of 0.5. And so you get, you know, the base student that every student, the base amount that every student in the state gets, and then multiply that times, you know, 50%. Mm-hmm. And then you'd get what you would allocate to the school district for each English language learner. This bill doesn't set the numbers in stone. Um, oh, <laughs> how is it going to work? How are we going to be providing, you know, those extra bits of, of help to student groups? That's a great question. And that's our question, too, because when you don't have things like adequacy goals or adequacy targets, and that includes not just for base funding, but for weights, you're kind of left open, like, well, are we really going to take this seriously and start infusing dollars into these into these weights, or are we just going to kind of, you know, see what we can handle without adding new revenue? So that's a big concern, and we're still pushing for them to be a little more firm on what this actually means and where it's going in the future. But, you know, overall as a concept, weights are great mm-hmm. because it ensures that every single student that falls into these categories gets some sort of additional funding to provide supports. Um, so I think that's a little, you know, we started off with categorical programs, Zoom and Victory, which were great and kind of illustrated the types of services that were really effective in schools to help those student populations. I think everyone saw it as a stepping stone um, by the time this bill goes into effect, that it'll be eight years of Zoom and Victory, or eight years of Zoom and six years of Victory. So I think that's a good stepping stone, but, you know, we'll be pushing hard because there needs to be additional dollars. But, you know, when 2021 rolls around and we start implementing these weights, they have to be meaningful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, so and right now if there is a kid who is an ELL student that did not get to attend a Zoom school. He or she did not get those resources. So that's really what weights does. Right. And what we thought, you know, Zoom was that kickoff to that. But in reality, every student who meets that unique need deserves the the resources. And another important thing to note about this bill with the weights is it says that if you're a special education student and a low-income student, you get the high, or an 
English learner student, you get the higher of the weights. And so we eventually hope that they will move to either some form of combined weight or understand that as a special ed education student, you might need different resources than you would as also a low income student. So starting to think about that part. And so though, as we start to establish more and more weights, the more and more we should establish how and who gets those dollars. And once it is fully funded and you know kicked off, you know it would really help some of those schools who maybe got Zoom funds but got no additional funds for their at-risk kids, right? And so now all of the kids who meet the unique needs will get the dollars according to their need. Mm -hmm. And so that that's a really good thing and it provides the flexibility for those services as well. So um, we just definitely need the, the funding and the identification of how we're gonna go mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. You know, and the way we're doing that right now, you know, we're talking about Zoom schools, so the state has provided enough money to designate certain schools with a high percentage of English language learners as Zoom schools and provides, you know, basically a critical mass of money to accomplish certain things like let's have a pre-K program or let's make the school day longer. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, all students in the school benefit, not just the, say, 30 percent of kids in that school who are English language <laughs> learners. But at the same time, I mean, aren't there only a small number of Zoom schools in the whole state? And you've got I think I've heard the statistics like 16 percent of English language learners yeah. in the state are actually in a Zoom school. So it's not touching all the other, you know, yeah. students that There's are out there. a lot of students there. left out, unfortunately. Yes. And, and so. it's interesting because I've talked to Zoom school principals up here in Washoe and they feel, I mean, they have a school right down the street, very similar demographics. They're not a Zoom school and they are the principal mm -hmm. of a Zoom school. And they said, look, by the end of the year, you know, we've had Title I funds and all these other things. We've bought all these, we've purchased all these services that are prescribed by Zoom schools. And now I'm just buying buckets of glue sticks, you know, <laughs> wow. so that there's like a, there's an issue with the prescription of the funds, too. And they're like, and I feel so bad because there's a school down the street that could really use these mm -hmm. dollars. So now it's kind of providing that flexibility. But again, without additional dollars, you, you know, you don't want to have a cliff. You don't want, you know, people to suffer. So there's really has to be kind of all hands on deck for the next two years to make sure by the time that we do have these weights that they're actually um, funded in a meaningful way. Especially because these are our students who need the most resources and need all of these additional dollars to help get them to that same level. So it's really important that we begin to fund those at an adequate level. And they also depend on base funding as well, yeah. you know? It'd be yeah. great to have like a literacy specialist or whatever it is they get, but there's yeah. like no paper in the school, you know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> so, I mean, we can't, it's, we, we've got to consider everything. Everything is important, so. Do you guys have any concerns that schools say that are existing Zoom schools or Victory schools, and the Victory schools are the ones that support schools in high poverty areas. Mm -hmm. Do you have concerns that those schools under the new funding formula are suddenly going to see all their funds evaporate because it's been spread out to all the students in the state? Well, it's going to be interesting to see. We don't have any numbers yet, <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how the math works because as Michelle mentioned, um, you know, now all the at-risk and EL students in a school get the funding, not just, you know, because it, it's right now it's kind of separated and designated, but there's an extra two years. I mean, we've had, it'll be eight years of these categorical programs and, you know, we need to transition. We need all hands on deck to make sure that there isn't some situation where the funds are so diluted that, you know, they're not really seeing any differences or there's not enough for services. I mean, I think that's really critical for this to be successful. And, it's ultimately the legislature that's going to have to commit to providing those funds. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. You know, we just need the funds for all of this to be successful. You know, right now it's currently not fair that a student right down the street from a Zoom school is not receiving any services. 
I mean, it's not really fair now. Um, <laughs> the only way for it to be fair is for legislature to step up and say, okay, we need to start funding these kids. It's fair to raise the funds. Yeah, <laughs> that yes. our students need. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's the fair thing to do. Yes. So you've got this, uh, I mean, this was a big project for you guys, this, uh, <laughs> this session to, to be advocating for this. Uh, what do you guys see, say, two years from now? What's going to be the big push at that point? Hmm. Money. I, money. Yeah, money. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, we finally have a system, well, the funding formula that goes through ensures that we won't supplant funds, so there's no excuse. So, you, you know, I'm, I'm knocking on doors, you know, whatever it is that we need to do to raise the funds. Um, there's just no more excuses anymore. Um, and hopefully adequacy targets. We mm. hope that that's what we see in two years, the mm. adequacy targets, just acknowledging we've already identified what resources students need. So why aren't we specifically working towards all those resources? And so we hope that that's something yeah. we see and in two we're years. Hoping, we're hoping for that this session too. Yeah, yeah, yeah we are. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Every day. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. If you're going to knock on doors, um, you know, if, and, and advocate for an education tax, you've got to deal with this kind of trust issue yes, that absolutely. people have that I voted for this and this and yeah. just it never seems to make any difference. And you can't, I mean, the way the funding formula is set up now, it's so confusing. It's really hard to sure. explain to people how much are we really funding it yeah. to yeah. begin with. Yeah. So this could potentially at least let people have a better view of we now have a rebuttal yeah. <laughs> to that, yeah. Where's the pot money? You hear that in every thread, every comment, like, here it is. <laughs> you know? And I got to say, even if the state doesn't do adequacy targets, we'll be publishing the mm -hmm. difference between current funding and adequacy targets. So that's mm -hmm. one of our initiatives. It's like, okay, even if you all don't put it in law, I think the public deserves to know how far away we are from providing every single student the resources they need to succeed. So that's going to be one of our initiatives going forward. Yeah, so forward. we'll be working on that. Lots of states uh, do that, and so, you know, by district. So, Shame. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, here it is, social and media. That, and that allows people to then see how the new dollars are starting to go into True. their district, right? So you can look last year and be like, I have this dollar amount, but next year I will have this more additional dollars and you can start to build the public's trust in the system as well and people can see it's a yes. morale boost yes. they see okay yeah, this is you crazy. actually see yeah. it move how and amazing I, yeah. yeah and i think people feel tied to their districts and they can see well my district is so far away and we can now understand why we need these dollars all right. Well, thank you guys so much for your time, um, Amanda, Michaela, and Michelle from Educate Nevada Now. We really appreciate all your expertise um, as we kind of try to unpack this funding formula that's going to have a big effect on uh, Nevada education going forward. Thanks so much. Thank, thank you for thank having you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. I'd like to thank Amanda Morgan, Michelle Booth, and Michaela Tonking with Educate Nevada Now for being on the podcast. Check out our website at thenevadaindependent.com for more news, especially as the legislature wraps up. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and if you have any ideas, criticism, or praise for the podcast, feel free to email me at joey at thenvindie.com. You can also listen to the podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you listen. You can also catch us on KWNK 97.7 FM Reno on Sundays at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. I'm Joey Lovato, the producer and editor of the show, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>